these were intended to harass her, to intimidate her, to drain her resources, to drive her to the point of giving up. When that didn't happen, when my mother, through the strength of her own character, did not give up, the people she was investigating resorted to murder. Worldwide, the EU has long been considered an absolute safe spot for journalists and the freedom of the press. However, over the past decades, key reports have pointed at a deteriorating scenario. From hidden forms of censorship to strategic lawsuits against journalists, from precarious working conditions to the assassination of investigative reporters, the EU is not anymore the Eldorado of journalism. On the bulk of these developments, the EU Commission has decided to take action, publishing a proposal for a European Media Freedom Act. But what are the goals of the European Media Freedom Act? Can it be an effective tool in safeguarding journalists? And will it assure freedom of the press in Europe for good? Welcome to the European Greens podcast, a podcast by the European Greens analyzing the most important policy measures put in place by EU institutions through in-depth interviews and stories from the ground. My name is Sibylle Stefan and I'm a member of the committee of the European Green Party. My name is Matthew Caruana Galizia. I'm the son of Daphne Caruana Galizia, a Maltese journalist who was assassinated in a car bomb attack on 16th October 2017 during the course of her work investigating high-level corruption in Malta. Matthew Caruana Galizia is well known for being the son of the Maltese investigative journalist Daphne Caruana Galizia. Daphne was a reporter, columnist and blogger who spent 30 years of her life reporting about corruption in Malta while raising Matthew and his two siblings. It was thanks to her blog that Daphne's investigative skills were brought to the fore, but also what led to her assassination in 2017. As his deceased mother, Matthew pursued a career in journalism, but it was not after the murder of Daphne that he got into the public eye. Five years ago, the killing of the top Maltese corruption reporter shocked Europe and changed Matthew's life. I am now the director of the Daphne Caruana Galizia Foundation, which I set up together with my brothers and father, and where I now work full-time together with my colleagues. The key objective of the foundation is to secure full justice for my mother, Daphne, so the alpha to the omega of the people involved in her assassination must be convicted and also to secure justice for the corruption that she revealed to make sure that there is public accountability in Malta which is something that we never really had the luxury of enjoying so Daphne's murder has passed the baton to her family in the fight against corruption in Malta Whereas Matthew's mother focused on uncovering scandals, he is fighting for media freedom and seeking justice. For the past couple of years, I have been fighting very hard to change the public understanding or the high-level understanding of what results in the murder of journalists. And that is almost always 
a result of the corruption that those journalists are investigating. As Matthew tells us, his mother's work in exposing dark and corrupt power relations in Malta entailed a lifetime of harassment both at a legal and a physical level, ending with Daphne's life. At the time of her murder, she had over 50 defamation proceedings pending against her, five of them criminal and around 46 of them civil. The lawsuits, which were filed against my mother over several years, but mostly in the last two years of her life. These were intended to harass her, to intimidate her, to drain her resources, to drive her to the point of giving up. When that didn't happen, when my mother, through the strength of her own character, did not give up, the people she was investigating resorted to murder. The technical name for what Matthew describes and what many journalists face nowadays is SLAP, an acronym which stands for Strategic Lawsuit Against Public Participation. Unfortunately, it is a practice to silence journalists that has become a phenomenon across the EU. But how does it work? When we speak about legal harassment, what we generally mean is what are called SLAPs, strategic lawsuits against public participation. These are lawsuits which are completely meritless. There is absolutely no evidence for them. They are intended only to harass journalists and make their lives impossible. Perhaps the most egregious example of the legal harassment of a journalist is my mother herself. Matthew's story is one about the consequences of the lack of media freedom. As the mission of the foundation reads, Matthew works to make independent journalism, like the kind that Daphne was assassinated for, not just more commonplace, but also less dangerous. But what does it look like to be a journalist in Malta after his mother's death? Has something changed? The state of media freedom in Malta is is worse than the state in which my mother left it. Primarily because she is gone and there is no one who has stepped in to fill her shoes. On the contrary, journalism has become so difficult to do in Malta. Access to information has become so difficult, so hard to get. Journalists are increasingly demotivated because of low pay, because of intimidation from government, because they are seeing very little results for their investigative work. They expose corruption. Either there is no accountability or there is a prosecution and the police or the prosecutor mess it up. So there is a lot, a lot, a lot of demotivation that I would say that it's in, it's in a worse state than, than the state it was in when my mother left it. Like his mother was, Matthew is a journalist in an EU country where reporters covering corruption are pursued, intimidated and have precarious jobs. How did it come to this? According to him, media ownership and state funding have much to do with it. Malta is in a very unique situation where political parties directly own or control media organizations. So the main broadcasters in Malta 
are directly or indirectly controlled by the governing party. So the state broadcaster and another large broadcaster, which is directly owned by the governing Labour Party. These are directly controlled by politicians. Another broadcaster is directly owned by the opposition party. There are other newspapers and news websites, or rather propaganda websites, presented as news websites that are directly controlled by labor unions, controlled by the governing party, for example. Um, But one way or another, most of the media in the country is controlled by the party in government. There is very little room for independent media. Such as in Malta, media freedom and pluralism have been undermined in recent years across the EU. Matthew's and Daphne Caruana Galizia's story is the most extreme example, but not the only one. Journalists face many other obstacles to their work. Lawsuits, phone tapping, threats. To prevent the harassment of journalists, to guarantee the independence of the media and, ultimately, to build a framework that prevents stories like those of Matthew and Daphne Caruana Galizia from happening again, the EU came out with the European Media Freedom Act. This is a set of rules proposed by the European Commission in September 2022 to guarantee media independence. A tool, as Matthew explains, that could help his colleagues when expressing themselves. I would say that there is a general trend by people who are on the more extreme ends of the political spectrum to frame journalists as enemies of the people. The Media Freedom Act, the anti-slap directive, these are legal tools or protections that protect all people expressing themselves. Whatever your political opinion is, wherever you stand on the political spectrum, wherever you stand on one issue or another, these are protections that apply to all people. What we are talking about here is a broadening of human rights to protect people who generally have their rights trampled upon by those who are more powerful than they are. Maria Luisa Stasi is Head of Law and Policy for Digital Markets at Article 19. Article 19 is a free speech organization with a global reach. Its mission is to defend the right to speak and right to know in different parts of the world and in different ways. Maria Luisa is a competition lawyer by background. And she told us that since she joined Article 19, She's trying to fill the gap between competition and market regulation discourses on the one hand and human rights and freedom expression communities on the other, trying to convince both that it is worth to have a discussion and sharing common language. We invited Maria Luisa to discuss in and out the European Media Freedom Act, what it is, why it matters and what chances of success it has. So this is me speaking to Maria Luisa Stasi. Today I'm brought you in to discuss the European Media Freedom Act with us. So very broad question, what is the European Media Freedom Act? Good question. The way I read it is the Commission responds to a number of challenges that we see in the media environment across the European Union. The challenges have different roots and have been manifesting themselves differently in the past decades 
we have economic challenges linked to the sustainability of the media industry and to the profit making of media outlets and their dependence, economic dependence, but not only uh, from online, very large online platforms and other players. There are also some social, political issues through regulatory issues. There is a vast regulatory fragmentation on the way the media uh, environment is regulated across the different member states. And this gets into the internal market's objective, of course, creating various levels of maturity of the market, various levels of uh, barriers for to entry for providers, various level, levels of protections of the players and of the citizens, and so on and so forth. There is also a big variety of degrees of independence and accountability of the national regulatory authorities. So the authorities for the media that are supposed to regulate and monitor what's going on in the media markets. And there is finally a lot of differences in the level of transparency of how those markets work, who is behind the outlets, who is getting funding from whom, and so on and so forth. All this has a huge impact, not only on the economic side, but also on the social side and on democracy, ultimately. So the European Commission proposal, I think, is an attempt to respond to all these challenges. It indeed sounds really broad. If I ask you to sum up, what are really the objectives of this one very overarching legislation? Well, the ambitious title says a long story already, right? It's Media Freedom Act. So in theory, the objectives are to guarantee media freedom, independence and plurality across the different member states. And I suppose we should consider this media environment as a big ecosystem, that it's a European ecosystem more than a national or local, with the sufficient flexibility to also consider, of course, the specificities of all the national and local realities, uh, by all means, yes. In concrete terms, it's a regulation. So that means that the European Commission is proposing some rules that will be directly applicable. Why this matters? Because uh, the difference with a directive, which is what we had for the audiovisual media services that was issued a couple of years ago, those kind of directive instrument needs to be implemented by the member states. It's not directly applicable. And sometimes this procedure can take long. It can create a lot of challenges while the regulation is directly applicable. And it's easier on this sense, at least. Maybe you can specify a bit the concrete instruments and tools that are new that the European Media Freedom Act proposes. As I mentioned, it's a complex proposal. So there are provisions that try to deliver the objective of media freedom looking at different elements. There are provisions on the protection of journalists. There are provisions that introduce uh, more transparency for media service providers and guarantees for editorial independence of the media service providers. There are provisions that strengthen the role of the ERGA, which is this body of regulatory authorities across the different member states, allocating increasing tasks to this uh, board in the direction of an harmonization of the rules across the member states, I would say. It introduced also a media plurality test in mergers, which means that when someone wants to acquire a media service provider, together with a basic competition assessment of which, which kind of competition impact is going to have on the market, the authorities that are relevant in this case, they will be uh, forced to look at also the impact that this transaction will have on the media plurality in the market and the editorial independence. There is also uh, an interesting provision which is about introducing a dialogue between the very large online platforms in the words of the Digital Services Act, so the big online platforms like Meta or Google, and um, the media service providers and civil society. So this 
to me, looks as sort of a first step recognition that those dialogues are not only economic, but they do impact society. And that's why we need civil society to be there as well. Can you give us a little bit of background why the European Commission came up with this proposal? I mean, you mentioned there was a longer run-up. So who were the driving forces behind it politically on the one side, but also what are recent events and ongoing developments in Europe that we see that triggered it so that the Commission presented this proposal right now? I would say that the... Um proposal of the commission that we are now discussing, which is on the table, is just a final step into a long journey. The commission, since the very beginning of its mandate, has dedicated a lot of attention to the media sector, increasingly so, for a number of reasons. Unfortunately, sadly, the majority of attention has been attracted by very sad episodes that happened in different member states from the killing of journalists to the concentration of media and the capture of media becoming absolutely incompatible with democracy standards. I would say that also in recent times, the invasion of Ukraine has also demonstrated once more how fundamental it is the resilience of the media system for democracy. So There have been so many different reasons why the importance of such a proposal has become increasingly uh, clear to everybody. If we look at what the Commission has done in the past couple of years, we can see the European Democracy Action Plan, which has been designed to empower citizens and build resilience and democracies across the EU. And uh, one of the pillars of this Democracy Action Plan is strengthening media freedom. Then there has been a proposal for a directive on SLAPS, which is basically abusive litigation against uh, activists or journalists that try to raise issues of public interest. And now we have the Media Freedom Act. So it's very much the last step in a long journey. As you said, there's been a um, number of driving forces, but also a number of opponents, I would say. There's been quite some resistance politically, but also economically, for two reasons. Politically, because some actors, they are strongly convinced that media markets are a national issue that is very linked to national culture and national specificities. The other opponents have used economic arguments. They have said, uh, especially against the media plurality test for media mergers, they have used the sustainability argument saying, if we don't have concentration in the market, if we're not allowed to buy out competitors, the counterfactual would be that some media outlets they will simply not survive. And so media plurality will be less in any case. Let's dive into the proposal in a little bit more detail together and start a critical analysis with the positive points. So what do you like about it? I like the title to start with, Media Freedom Act. I think it's, uh, as I said, very ambitious, but it's a clear message and we needed this message at this point. I like also the complexity, uh, the fact that there are rules that touch upon a number of keynotes of media freedom in Europe. Let's be a little bit more detailed. I like the fact that there is a um, specific provision dedicated to the protection of journalists and journalistic sources, because once again, it's a strong recognition of how important this protection it is for journalists to be free to properly and adequately perform their job. I like the idea of strengthening the role of the ERGA into the port, because I, I do sympathize with the idea of having peer-to-peer -peer cooperation between national independent authorities rather than having government interference or even the commission driving for everybody. 
Another very good rule is the media plurality test, because the regulatory fragmentation now at the level of the European member states is massive. And um, those mergers are treated in, in completely different ways, which means we do have different level of diversities in the different member states. So this provision, the media plurality test, was absolutely needed. It fills a gap, at least for half of the member states, and uh, it has a huge potential to deliver more pluralism and diversity. The other good provision is Article 6 on transparency and editorial independence rules because it recognizes, I would say, the importance of having a transparent environment and uh, the fact that citizens should be, at all times, be able to identify who is behind what they read or what they are exposed to. These were quite some positive provisions, um, but where do you see the shortcomings of the proposal? as presented by the Commission? In a way, I see the negatives in the same articles where I see the positive, because I do believe that um, all the provision I mentioned can be improved. They're a good signal, the good first step, but there is the potential to improve all of them. Some of them, they must be improved, or we run the risk of doing more harm than good. I mentioned first the protection of journalists and journalistic sources. This is one of the articles that must be improved because the protection that is provided there is too limited and it's not in line with the case law of the European Court of, of Human Rights in Strasbourg, which on the other side needs to be part of our regulatory framework. The protection is limited to um, specific circumstances And it's so narrow that it seems to even allow or provide sort of an open way for surveillance to happen in other cases that are not covered by the article. And this is absolutely not the case. We need to have protection from surveillance as a default, as a general rule. Also, there is an issue of definition of um, or can benefit from this protection. It's only journalists that work for media outlets that have a standard contract, let's say, or also the vast category of freelancers or people that uh, have different sort of um, formal qualifications, but they still perform a very, very similar job. There is also a hype of, of attention on spyware for, I suppose, pretty obvious reasons linked to what has happened in the past couple of years. Yet, spyware are not the only tool that could be used to surveil. So also there, we might want to broaden the scope of the protection. There is still some clarification needed on the role, I would say, the relationship between the board and the European Commission. The wording describing this relationship seems to hint that the Commission retains a leadership role. And we might want to question if this is the optimal solution or if we want to allocate this leadership role to the board, which is supposed to be a group of independent and accountable authorities. So this is something also where I would encourage uh, further discussions and further reflections. And um, the editorial independence and independence rules, which I mentioned as a, as a pro, they're also a con in a way that they seem to focus on the independence of the individual editorial decision. Uh, but we all know that when it comes to media outlets, it's not only about the single individual decision made by the individual journalist, but it's also about the editorial line decided by the editorial board that usually covers a wider scope, but also in terms of timing, 
positions, the kind of voices that will be hosted uh, and given visibility by the media in the short, medium and long term. After uh, all these shortcomings, I'm happy that we're only at the beginning of the legislative procedure, so we still have the chance to fix some of them. You mentioned also the complexity. I mean, in the end, it's always also a question of enforcement because the best rules are not worth a lot if they are not really enforced and implemented. What is your outlook on the actual enforcement of the new rules? I believe that uh, the... Media Freedom Act is interesting in the sense that creates this, uh, it strengthens the power of and the tasks of uh, the board in a way that emphasizes the potential of good cooperation and good coordination. It's something I support. We, as, a, as Article 19, we've, we've always said that it's dangerous to have invasive regulatory intervention in media markets, that the media markets should be left as free as possible. So the fact that uh, the regulatory framework is tailored on a peer-to-peer cooperation among independent authorities rather than having a strong invasive leadership or a central power that decides everything for the 27 member states is absolutely a good thing. From the administrability perspective, what you were mentioning, this is going to be a challenge. Of course, it's going to be a challenge. Yet, it's not something completely new. The Commission proposal builds on ERGA, which is an existing forum, which has proved to be functional and has proved to be able to work in a certain way. So I suppose with sufficient guarantees, there is the potential to make it work. And there is the potential to avoid that national authorities, they might be less independent than they should be or less accountable than they should be, are left completely alone in deciding crucial things for their own media market without anybody else having a say or anybody else noticing this in Europe. This is a strong potential that I hope will be delivered by the Media Freedom Act. The challenges will be, the, from the most obvious, economic challenges, making sure that all the different authorities are equipped to do their job in a similar way, that the board is equipped with a proper secretariat to do its work, etc., etc., independence and accountability of uh, the different members. Also, the kind of support that will be given by the variety of players, including the media service providers, of course. You mentioned you especially like the big title, the European Media Freedom Act. Do you think it will be sufficient to achieve this big goal of European media freedom in the end? Not alone, no. But this is something that is clear also in the eyes of the Commission, I suppose. This proposal, as I mentioned, comes as a part of a package. It's one of the fundamental pillars of this plan. But to have media freedom in Europe is a big plan and it's a complex plan. And there are so many different instruments that are essential for this plan. I mentioned the proposal for a directive on SLAPs, the variety of actions under the European Democracy Action Plan. All those are components. None, none of them will deliver media freedom in Europe alone. Possibly, in addition to regulatory hard law, soft law instruments or policy actions, What could be essential as well is a cultural action. It's very important that citizens are on board of this plan. The citizens are aware and keep being, being aware of how valuable it is to have 
independent, free and pluralistic media and society are valuable it is for their own critical thinking and how big is the role of media freedom and independence to make sure that our democracies are solid, resilient, but also to make sure that uh, the variety of communities, they talk to each other uh, rather than being extremely polarized and there is no public discussion on any serious public discussion on anything anymore. Perfect. Thank you so much. Uh, content rich and fruitful. Thank you. You can follow Maria Luisa Stasi on LinkedIn and Article 19 on Twitter at Article19.org. The website of Article 19 is reachable at Article19.org as well. You can follow Matthew Caruana Galizia on Twitter at M Caruana Galizia. And please visit the foundation of Daphne Caruana Galizia Foundation at daphne.foundation. And that's it for this episode of the European Greens podcast. The producer of this episode is Julia Boada Danes. Editing and mixing is by Jeremy Bouquet and Thomas Kusberg. My name is Sibylle Stefan. We'd be happy to hear from you with feedback about this episode. You can reach out to us by email and on social media. Until next time, goodbye.